Stephen, can I ask you up now, please? Yeah, if you could join me on the sofa just, and I'll give you that for a bit of a grilling. Okay, so first of all, if you could tell me your name and a wee bit about yourself, like any hobbies or anything. I'm Stephen Curry. Uh, I'm from, grew up in Bangor, went to Balamoney uh, for 23 years and then back in Bangor again for the last four years. Hobbies? Uh, watching TV? So, so that count? <laughs> um, what did you have for dinner tonight? Uh, haven't had it yet. Haven't had oh, no. got it. Um, uh, what else? Who's in your family? I think there's one already Matthew here. <laughs> is one. Mm -hmm. And then Andrew, who's uh, studying in America um, and got married in June. And then Simon, who's studying at the Irish Baptist College and is presently free. And then uh, Jonathan, who we fostered when he was five, and he's now 22, and he's a painter and decorator. Very good. Okay. Can I ask who's your favorite? Matthew, of course. <laughs> good one. Um, okay, so a few quick questions then. Farmers or townies? Uh, farmers. Indian or Chinese food? Indian. Apples or oranges? Apples. And sweet or savoury? Savoury. Mm, okay. Um, what's your favourite Bible verse then? Favourite Bible verse would be um, Psalm 46 and verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Mm -hmm. And can you sum up just in a few minutes what you're going to be speaking on tonight? I'm speaking, you're working through the book of Daniel and I hope you've all read it because that would really help me a lot uh, before you came. Um, and it's on prayer. It's Daniel's prayer. And so we're looking at the whole issue of prayer tonight. Okay. And just before you start, um, I'm going to have a wee quick prayer with okay, you. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. So, Lord, I pray that you will take away any of Stephen's nerves, Lord, to give him your words tonight, not um, his own, Lord, please. Maybe you that will talk through him tonight. And, Lord, um, let us all here tonight be able to take something from what he is brought to us here and Lord let him speak to maybe anyone who isn't saved that you will bring them closer to you Lord and work in them in your name I pray amen, amen. So well, somebody's yeah. going to come and read it for me I think read the chapter <laughs> oh, thank you also any questions see you phone yeah you'll have, okay. to, have to answer them later <laughs> this one's about the right height which is old normally never the right height um Maybe we it down. Uh, just going to read from Daniel 9, 1 to 23. If you want to look that up, do so now. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a maid who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass on before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. 
Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God, and he made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them. Because of the treachery and that they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs the shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against them, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants and prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against them. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O, o our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake O Lord make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate O my God incline your ear and hear open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name for we do not present our pleas before you because of your righteousness but because of your great mercy O Lord Hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. 
O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin to the people, sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in the prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the first came to me in swift light at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out and out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Thanks very much. Uh, well read. Uh, I was speaking in um, Shramalis a few years ago, and uh, I thought things were taking a turn for the worse when people were um, sort of uh, reading their messages on their mobile phone. Uh, while I was speaking, and then I realized it was the Bible they were reading, and they were following through. And then I saw them texting, and I realized that they weren't texting, they were making notes. So, uh, but it's good to be with you tonight. Thanks. That's a long reading, but um, I think it's just important that we see and hear the account that's given to us uh, there. It's uh, all about prayer, and in a sense, it's fairly straightforward. Uh, I hope. Uh, that uh, you'll be able to follow the PowerPoint through with me as I, uh, I try to speak in this. It was the Scottish theologian of the 19th century, Thomas Chalmers, who said, prayer is the greatest gift from God, uh, but it is, almost, it is always also the most difficult work to do. Now, I'm not sure I agree with that statement. I'm not sure that it's the greatest gift that God has given us, because I think the Lord Jesus is probably a greater gift. But certainly, it's, it's a, a, a very difficult thing to do. You sit down to pray, and all of a sudden, a thousand things come into your mind, and your mind goes in a thousand different directions. But, but it is the best thing that we can do. There's no greater privilege than to uh, pray for your family, to pray for your church, to pray for the unconverted, as we have just done, to pray uh, for the country, to pray for missions, to pray for ministry. There's no greater work that we can do than to, to pray. And, uh, and that's why I want to look at Daniel's prayer with you tonight, because in that you get a lot of inspiration and a lot of guidance on just how we ought to pray. And I want you to notice six things. We'll rattle through them very quickly, so don't be put off by that. First of all, the reason for Daniel's prayer. Why did Daniel pray at this time in this way? Now, we know from Daniel 6 that he had the habit of praying three times a day. He opened his windows, faced Jerusalem, and he would have those regular times of prayer. But why did he pray uh, in this way at this time? Well, verses 1 and 2 tell us. And you'll remember the background uh, to these verses from your previous studies in Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar had come. Uh, and invaded uh, Judah. He had this policy of transporting 
uh, people from one country, from their home country to another country, and replacing them with a migrant uh, community from another country so that they would be disoriented and wouldn't rebel uh, and try to seize back their land. And so uh, Daniel, at the age of 14, he's carried into captivity. Um, he's put through uh, a university program to teach him all the ways of the uh, Babylonians and really to brainwash him to make him a good uh, Babylonian. And as he's going through that process, he stands firm, he remains firm, and he keeps his relationship with God. Here we find him reading the Bible and praying. So those twin disciplines that are absolutely essential for uh, a health as a Christian, reading the Bible and prayer, Daniel's doing them uh, at the age of 62. So over the years that he has been away from the land, his uh, faith hasn't uh, shriveled at all. Trials had not broken him. Promotion had not eroded his faith. Temptation had not compromised his faith. Here he is doing what he uh, always did, reading the Bible and prayer. As he's reading the Bible, he brings out the scroll of Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived just before the captivity. And he discovers in Jeremiah 25 that there is this promise, or well, this prediction, first of all, that the exile will take place, that God will carry his people into captivity, that the temple uh, will be destroyed, uh, that the walls of Jerusalem will be broken down. That happened, but in that same prophecy, he reads that that um, exile would last 70 years. They had been in exile 68 years. And suddenly he makes this connection that, that there's two years left. Two years till the exile runs out. Two years till they go back to the land. Now, that must have been mind-blowing for, for Daniel because he faced Jerusalem every day. For 68 years, there'd been no temple. There had been no sacrifices. Very interesting reference there uh, in, in, at the end of verse 21 where it says, at the time of the evening sacrifice. They didn't have sacrifices in the exile because the temple was destroyed. Sacrifices hadn't been offered for 68 years, but he still remembered the time. He still remembered fondly a time when sacrifices were made, when people could worship uh, Jehovah in the way that he had revealed in his word. And he longs for that. And he probably would have sung with the rest of the exiles, Psalm 137, that great psalm of lament, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Our tormentors asked us uh, for a song, but how can we sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? We hung our hearts in the poplars and we refused to sing. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not count you my, my greatest joy. And, and suddenly after 68 years, he's reading this scroll. He reads this promise that they're going to go back in two years' time. What does he do? Does he run out and uh, call the elders of, of the Jews together and announce the good news? 
Does he go to Darius, a man whom he had great influence over after the lion's den incident, and tell them, tell him to release them because the promise of God had been made? Uh, or, or, or does he sit back and say, well, God has promised it's going to happen anyway. Um, it's his purpose. It's his plan. I'm not going to do anything. He doesn't do any of those things. He actually sets himself to pray, and he seeks God's face because he realizes that God's purposes are always accomplished through means. And one of the means that he uses is by, by prayer. So he seeks God in this tremendous prayer. He says in verse 3, I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel prayed to God. And that's the reason for this prayer, this fantastic prayer that we have in Daniel 9. Second thing I want you to notice, that's the reason for, the, for his prayer, is the earnestness in his prayer. Look at verse 3 there. He says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition. Now, that phrase, I turned to the Lord, is, is a very important, very crucial phrase. It's, it's a Hebrew expression. Do you remember? Um, uh, well, it literally means I set my face to the Lord. Do you remember during our, our Lord's earthly ministry, uh, when it was coming up to the crucifixion, we are told that he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. He had this itinerant ministry in Galilee and Judea uh, and in Samaria and to some degree too. But there came a point when he set his face to Jerusalem, that Jerusalem was his goal. That's where he knew he would offer up his life as a sacrifice for sin and the purposes of God, that God had decreed it, that God had fixed it. So he set his face, and there was a determination, um, a, a, a decided intention to go to Jerusalem. Well, that's what this phrase means here in Daniel. He set his face to the Lord. There was an intensity about his praying. It wasn't God bless the missionaries everywhere, amen. It was a prevailing in prayer, an earnestness in prayer. He, he wanted to do business with God. He wanted to get through to God, and he set his face towards God. And that's the kind of praying, that intense praying that, that God hears and God rewards. Remember the Lord's teaching in prayer, and he says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. All of those phrases are in the pre present tense. It's um, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. But, but there's also a step up in each of those phrases in intensity. Seeking is an intensification of asking. Knocking is an intensification of, of, of seeking. You, you step up. There, there, there's an earnestness. Remember Jacob in the Old Testament, this strange nocturnal creature comes to him one night and challenges him to a wrestling match. And uh, he wrestles with God all night. And sometime during the night, he, he realizes that he's not wrestling with a man, but he's wrestling with God. And he holds on to the man because this man touched his thigh and dislocated it. Well, a wrestler needs uh, the strength to come from his hips. 
he's useless if his thigh is dislocated, but he hangs on to the man, and he clings to him, and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And, and no matter how much the, the man uh, twisted or, or turned, Jacob held on to him. And, and when he woke, the, when the morning came, uh, the man spoke to him and says, you have wrestled with God and prevailed. And that's a picture of prayer. It's, it's wrestling. Martin Luther called prayer the sweat of the soul. It's agonizing. James tells us about Elijah that he prayed earnestly that it, it might not rain, and it didn't rain. Do you know what it is to, to pray like that? To be disciplined, to be forthright, to be bold in your prayer. In Luke 11, Jesus tells the parable of the friend that comes at, at midnight and uh, knocks the door until his friend gets up. And Jesus says, this, this kind of boldness is what will be rewarded. Uh, when we were in Balamani, there was a man, we used to call him the 20p man, because every time you saw him in the street, he would say, spare us 20p. And um, it's very sad, actually, because he's an uncle of Keith Getty, but he's He's an alcoholic, and he has a, a real problem. Um, and the first time I met him, it was coming up to Christmas, and I was feeling very generous. And I put my hand in the pocket, and I hadn't, hadn't anything but five pounds. And I, I, I gave him the five pounds, which was a mistake, because for the next 10 years, he plagued me. Every time he, he saw me, he would follow me into a shop. He would, he would follow me uh, into a coffee shop. He would sit down beside me, spare his 20p. Mr. And, uh, and, and often because of that persistence, because of that boldness, I would just give it to him. Well, that's what Jesus is saying in that, that parable in Luke 11, that, that it's the boldness, it's this persistence, it's this intensity that God hears. So the reason for his prayer, the earnestness in his prayer, the content of his prayer. Verse 3, so I turn to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. Now, that, that word fasting is a key word in the text, because fasting in the Bible was given, and let me say is given, for two purposes. Fasting was given, first of all, to express humiliation for sin and repentance. It was a, it was a, a confession of sin. And secondly, it was an expression of dependence upon God, a confession of our dependence upon God. And those are the two elements that you see constantly in this prayer. He confesses his sin, and he confesses his weakness, his utter dependence upon God. Verse 4, and confessed. That's a crucial word in the text. So, confession of sin. You see it there in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands. Verse 6, we have not listened to your servant, the prophets. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept his laws or, or, uh, that he gave through the prophets. Now, I want you to notice he uses the word we. We have sinned. We have sinned. We have sinned. He doesn't say, I have sinned, I have sinned, I have sinned. Now, I notice a tendency among young people now when they're praying and collectively to, to pray personal prayers. I, I pray, I ask. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But, but when Daniel's confessing sin, he's confessing the sin of the whole nation, and he says, we have sinned. But Daniel, you're a good man. 
you, you didn't follow Baals and the false gods. You didn't uh, uh, give yourself to temple prostitutes. You didn't do any of those things. You're a good man. You have remained faithful through those 68 years in exile. You have done none of those things. But you see, Daniel was conscious that in his heart he had sinned, that God was holy, that, that the angels in the presence of God cover their faces. Now, they're holy creatures. They've never sinned. They've never rebelled against God. But in the light of His uncreated holiness, they have to, to cover their faces. They can't look on Him. His holiness is a holiness of an altogether different order. It's, it's holiness lifted to the nth degree. It's, it's a spectacular or a brilliant holiness, and the angels cover their faces. And even Daniel, who's a good man, he's not an idolatrous man. He, he confesses the sin. We have sinned. We have sinned. We have sinned. He takes the place of the penitent. He identifies himself with the rest of the people of the nation and acknowledges that God is justified in sending them into exile in the first place, that he's justified in judging them. Secondly, he confesses his helplessness. Um, you see, prayer is not simply um, furnishing God with information. It's, it's not that at all, because God knows everything. God knows all about your plans for evangelism. He, he knows all that's happening in the CU. You don't have to tell Him that. He knows that. But prayer is a pleading of your helplessness before God. That's, that's what one famous preacher uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones defined prayer as a spreading of your helplessness before God. It's telling God that you can't do it on your own, that, that this is His work. And you see that in, in verse 16, now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor. Daniel's conscious that God had scattered the people and that it was God who needed to people bring the people together. But, but he's not only confessing sin, he's confessing helplessness. And that's what prayer is. Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, without me you can do nothing. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus was right when he said, without me you can do nothing? So you can't even, as the Bible says, create an anxious thought that you can witness to people, but it will have no impact and no effect if Jesus doesn't do the work. That you can worship God, but it will bring no glory to God unless Jesus is in it. Without me, you can do nothing. Well, that's what prayer is. It's saying, God, I, I can't do it. You need to do this. You need to work. You need to move. You need to inspire. You need to change. You need to change the king or the king's heart. You need to bring this about because I can't do this in myself. And, and in any work that you do for God, you must realize that you can do nothing. It's only Jesus can do it, and he must do it through you. So that's why you pray. So, so his prayer essentially then is this confession of sin and this confession of utter helplessness. The reason for his prayer, the earnestness in his prayer, the content of his prayer, the confidence in, uh, uh, with his prayer. Why was Daniel so confident in prayer? Well, obviously, the Word. He had just read in the book of Jeremiah that God will uh, bring back 
the, the uh, exiles after 70 years. So God has promised. God doesn't break his promises, so he pleaded that promise. Do you remember Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac? He was called to lay him on an altar, put his, uh, a knife through his heart, and uh, then burn his body. He was called to do that. Abraham never believed for one minute that he would lose his son because God had said that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. And it was through this one boy, this boy who was born late, that that promise was going to be fulfilled. So Abraham said to himself, God doesn't break his promises. So God's going to have to raise that boy from the dead rather than break his promise. So he says to the servants, wait here, and we will come back. Not I'll come back, but we will come back. If I kill this boy, God's going to raise him because God doesn't break his promises. And so Daniel can pray confidently because God had said in his word, I'm going to do this. And he pleads that promise. Now, sometimes you pray, and it's hard to know what God's will is in that prayer. But if you pray biblically, if you um, take the promises that God has made in the word of his presence in times of trouble, of his of the strength that's given to help you to do tasks for him. If you plead those promises, you can be absolutely sure that God will hear you because God doesn't break promises. So he pleads the promises, but he also then pleads the character of God. Look at verse 4. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love and mercy. He's very conscious that God was, was angry with them when he took them into exile. That was a punishment from God, but that God was a God of love and mercy too. Verse 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against Him. Verse 18, give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. And notice this, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. He pleads the mercy of God. Our God is merciful. On one occasion, um, a deserter was brought before Napoleon. And he was condemned to death. And uh, the mother, his mother came to plead his case and said to Napoleon, um, uh, would, you, would you not spare my son? And Napoleon says, justice demands that he dies. And the mother said, I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. I'm asking for mercy. God is merciful. Now, sometimes the devil comes to you and tells you, God will not hear your prayer because you've sinned. You're unworthy. You don't deserve an answer from him. But our God, as Micah says, here's a great verse for you, that, that God delights in mercy. Micah 7, he delights in mercy. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He, he likes to be merciful to us. So the reason for his prayer, this need that, uh, 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 that he had read about in, in the book of Jeremiah, the earnestness in his prayer, he sets his face to God, the content of his prayer, um, uh, the, a confession of sin and a confession of helplessness, the confidence with his prayer, he, he's very conscious that God has promised in his word and that, uh, that God is, is merciful. The motive behind his prayer. The whole focus of Daniel's prayer 
is the glory of God. Look at verse 15. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and made a name for yourself that endures to this day. God, you remember what you did in Egypt? You brought your people out of Egypt, and glory was brought to your name. He remembers that incident. And then he says in verse 17, for your sake, O Lord, not my sake, not for the Jews' sake, but for your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. And then he ends his prayer in verse 19, O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, your sake, do not delay, um, um, because your city and your people bear your name. And, and the great motivation in his prayer was the glory of God. He wanted God's name to be lifted. He wanted God's name to be glorified. John Calvin says, annexed to the interest of every Christian is the glory of God. Every Christian must be motivated and inspired by the glory of God. You, you remember the, that the greatest uninspired statement ever written in the world is the first answer to the first question in the Shorter Catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why we were created. That's why we were redeemed, that we might glorify God. And Daniel permeates his prayer with this concern for the, the name of God. He wants the name of God to be glorified. Now, why do you pray? Why do you pray for the conversion of your family? To make your life a little bit easier at home or for the glory of God? Why do you pray for the work of CU, that you might get a name for yourself or that God might get a name for Himself in Jordan's town CU, or university? Why do you pray? I remember reading recently about a, a young fellow went to his minister, an Anglican minister in England. He was rather angular and, and hard. And he said, uh, I'm thinking of leaving this church. And the minister says, why? And he says, well, I get nothing out of the preaching. Don't like the worship. Uh, uh, people aren't friendly. Um, uh, nobody asked me for lunch. And he gave this big, long list of reasons. And the minister looked at him and said, it's not about you, stupid. And church is not about you. And see you is not about you. It's about God. And it's about His glory. Remember Eric Alexander, who was a very famous preacher in Glasgow. One of his students from the church was going off to another town in Scotland. And uh, uh, Eric recommended a certain church to him. And he came back at half term. And he says, did you go to that church? And he says, yeah. He says, but I got nothing out of the worship. And Eric Alexander put his arm around him and said, I thought it was God that was supposed to get something out of the worship. It's not about you, stupid. It's about God and His glory. That's what matters. That's what counts. That's why we pray. Not to make life easier for ourselves, but that God's name would be glory. Is that your chief end, your chief motivation? I must tell you, I, I, in Balamani, I went to a very Presbyterian town, and I went into this local primary school, 
and uh, the first school assembly, and I thought I would quote the catechism. And I said, now, boys and girls, what is man's chief end? Which is the question in the catechism. This wee boy put his hand up and said, his bum. <laughs> uh, man's chief end is the glory of God. That's why he was made, and that's why he was created. So why do we pray? Or the reason for his prayer, the earnestness in his prayer, the uh, content of his prayer, the confidence with his prayer, the motive behind his prayer, and the answer to his prayer. If you look at verses 20 to 23, this is it's startling. It's, it's, it's amazing. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God uh, for his holy hill, that's the temple, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight, not, not slow flight, swift flight. About the time of the evening sacrifice, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding as soon as you began to pray. An answer was given. Isn't that great? As soon as he began to pray, heaven sprang into action, and his prayer was being answered. Someone has said, prayer is the sinew that moves the muscle, that moves the arm of omnipotence. When we pray, things happen. And as soon as Daniel began to pray, God began to work and began to answer his prayers. That's, that's fantastic. That, that the moment he began to pray, God was at work and Gabriel was sent to bring an answer uh, to Daniel. So the reason for his prayer, there they are uh, in exile. He's reading the scriptures and suddenly he realizes that two more years to go of this exile. The earnestness in his prayer, he sets his face towards God. There's an intensity about his praying. The content of his prayer, he confesses his sin and he confesses his helplessness. That's the essence of true prayer. The, the um, confidence with his prayer, uh, the Word of God, the promises of God, and the character of God. He knew that God was merciful and that God delights to answer prayer. The motive behind his prayer, he's consumed with this passion for the glory of God. And the answer to his prayer, as soon, as soon as he began to pray, God answered. Do you pray? Do you pray much? Do you pray often? I, I just wonder sometimes in my own life, is the, the lack of blessing, the lack of progress in the faith, is that, is that traceable to the feebleness and fickleness of my prayers? Is that true of you? Take an example and learn a lesson from Daniel. Thanks. Um, we've only got one question in, which is a wee bit disappointing because last week we had like an onslaught, right. which was great. But uh, it's, if we are not 100% confident in our prayers uh, that God, God can and will answer the, them if they're in his will, will he still answer them? Yeah, but you've got to remember that God doesn't always answer yes when you pray. Sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. 
We used to sing a little children's chorus, you know, in, in Balamani, God sometimes answers yes when we pray, God sometimes answers no when we pray, and sometimes God answers wait when we pray. So, so he, he doesn't always answer in the way that we want. Do you remember Elijah prayed, uh, and he prayed that he might die? Well, thank God he didn't answer that prayer. He says, take away my life. God didn't answer that prayer. Well, thank God that he didn't answer that prayer because he had a ministry and a work for Elijah to do. So, and, and, and sometimes I think, you know, praying in faith is not sort of naming and claiming it, saying, I want this, I'm going to name this before God and I'm going to get it. I think praying in faith is praying, believing that God can do it, that God uh, could do it, but that if he doesn't do it, that you'll love him anyway. And you'll say, well, God, you didn't give me the answer that I wanted, but it's the answer that you wanted. And I think that's praying in faith. And someone has said that the greatest prayer that you can pray is thy will be done. To actually bow to the will of God and say, well, if that's what you want for me, God, that's okay. Um, great. We just got another one in. Oh, flip. Now we're getting loads. Um, do you have any tips for those uh, that struggle with prayer? Yeah, um, I, I intended to mention it. Be disciplined in your prayer. Um, you know, like, you see, well, a couple of tips. Do you, do you ever start to pray and then your mind goes in a different, under oh, different directions and you can't, you, you, you're thinking of other things rather than the things you're, pray out loud. That's a, that's a very practical thing. If you pray out loud, the sound of your own voice um, actually focuses your attention upon the prayer. And it really helps. Try it. Now, you can't do it if you're sharing a room with somebody. But, but to be alone and, and just pray out loud, it does help. Secondly, keep a prayer diary so that you have a little uh, notebook and it's divided into three different sections. So in the first page, you have your, your emergency prayers, the things that you want to pray for that, you know, somebody's sick or or somebody's in need or that, you put them on that emergency. Second sections divided up Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so those are the people that um, you might want to pray for regularly, like your family or, or your friends or some unconverted person that you want to pray for regularly. And then the last sections, 1 to 30, or 1 to 31 for the days of the month. And those are people like maybe a missionary comes to the church and says, you know, you're impressed about the work. But um, yeah, and you want to pray for them regularly, but it's just too much to pray for them all the time. Well, then put them into that section, and you'll, you'll be surprised just how the 1 to 31 soon fills up, so that when you come to pray, you open your book, and you have your emergency prayer. You pray that. You turn to the day of the week. You pray those particular things, and then you turn to the day of the month, the, the things. For instance, you know, in the days of the month, I have all the, the members of the church in that section. So that once a month, every member of the church has been prayed for. So you could maybe do that in CU. You know, you could have all the members of the CU, um, you know, that you would actually pray for them regularly and pray for each other regularly. Um, things like that. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's great. That's really some helpful tips. Okay. The last one was a wee bit of a joke one there. It was just, why is Matt your favorite? Is it because he's here? It's probably because he's here. Because <laughs> he gives me the least trouble. <laughs> That's good. Oh, we just got another one. Oh, right. Oh, no, we're not. No. <laughs> Seriously. 
Yeah, that's everything. Tell me uh, what it is. No, well, I'll show you. Is it bad? <laughs> no, I'm not answering. <laughs> that think, would be a bit of a letdown. Yeah, we'll just leave that one. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Colin's going to come up now and... Uh,